What is going on, everyone? Welcome to episode two of the Big Fly Pod with your co-host Christian Myers and myself, Ty Lewin. World Series is off to an incredible start. It's rolling to game three here in Philly with a one-to-one tie in the series. Christian, your thoughts on the series so far? I think it's been an absolute exciting series to watch up until now. Um, Both games were very thrilling with obviously the first one going into extra innings, which is something you want to see all the time in the World Series. And then I thought last night's game was very, very exciting to watch as well. Agreed. It's just been one of the – game one was one of the best playoff games I've ever witnessed. And it just felt like it set the series up to where we're going to have more viewers, we're going to have more excitement about the World Series – And I think what everybody is looking forward to is how electric is going to be in Philly here on Monday uh, for Game 3. And so going over and recapping both games, Game 1, Phillies win 6-5. Stroh started off on a hot start, going up 5-0 behind uh, courtesy of Kyle Tucker's absolute nukes that he hit to make it 5-0. But who would have thought? Verlander's World Series woes continue. Uh, he lets up three in the fourth right after giving given a 5 nothing lead by his offense and then giving up two in the fifth to make it a tie game. Verlander's World Series stats now 0-6 with a 6.07 ERA, climbing from a 5.86 ERA he had prior to game one. Now the worst ERA among pitchers with at least 30 innings in the World Series. So very... Very interesting stat now going into the rest of this series. But after Verlander and both, excuse me, both Nola and Verlander were relieved in game one, it turned into a bullpen game from there as we saw 11 arms in total from both teams. Uh, Game went to extras where the top of the 10th began with an oppo taco on a 3 2 count from Real Muto off of Luis Garcia. Obviously, the Phillies dugout going insane, but again, what we saw throughout the entire game was excellent plays. Some big plays by the Astros defense there to hold it to just one run there in the top of the 10th. But then as we moved into the bottom of the 10th, of course the Strohs are not going to go away. Diaz came up with runners on first and second, turned into second and third on a pass ball uh, by Robertson. Uh, to make it second and third with two outs, Diaz proceeded on a 1-0 pitch to get a curveball Probably more inside than most people would like. Seemed to be leaning into a little bit. And then, of course, that 2-0 pitch that everyone was talking about. Curveball in the inside half. He decides to lean in. Basically almost walking to first base while he's being hit. Gets called back by the umpire in some very interesting words, as you've probably seen on social media. 2-0 pitch, or excuse me, 3-0 count then. All of a sudden, Diaz, out of nowhere, swinging on a 3-0 slider off the plate to make it 3-1, and then Robertson came back with, as most people would have predicted, a 3-1 slider to then get a uh, ground ball to Sosa at third to end the game. Phillies win 6-5. Going off of really that, what happened with Diaz and that at-bat and how important that was for the game, in my opinion, Christian, I thought it was Bush League what Diaz did. I felt like he didn't want the at-bat. I felt like he was trying to find a way to get a walk to let McCormick come up. And obviously with Diaz's you know, woes here in the playoffs so far with him and Mancini both going at one, one for 34 in the DH position for their team, I found it to be Bush League. So 
Christian, wanted to get your thoughts. One, what were your thoughts on him trying to lean in on that pitch? And then two, your thoughts on that 3-0 swinging or 3-0 him deciding to swing uh, on that slider? Yeah, I'm torn on this one, right? Because to go on to your first question right away about leaning into the pitch, it's tough right there because you're in such a, a key situation with two outs in the bottom of the 10th. You have two guys already in scoring position. Um, you know, I think everybody wants to come up and swing the bat right there, but ultimately the goal is to find a way to either keep the inning going or send your team out with a win, um, by coming up with, with a key hit. And for him seeing that pitch coming on the inner half, uh, it looked like it was starting to break a little bit late. So to lean over a bit and get hit to try and get on base, um, I don't know that that it's so much Bush League. I think it go, definitely plays into everybody's view of, all oh, the Astros always going to be the Astros and always going to cheat and all of that. Um, but in all reality, I don't think the pitch would have been a strike anyway. Um, so I, I don't see too much issue there. But then moving on to your second question about the 3-0 swing at the slider in the dirt, I, I, I don't know what – what you're doing right there and what you're thinking. I mean, you're coming off an at-bat where they just pitched around Gurriel, so Robertson's already out of the strike zone. He's shown that he's out of the strike zone to you by throwing three straight balls. Um, And with a base open, you got to figure you're not going to be getting something that's grooved over the heart of the plate. So do I think it's an auto-take? Probably should have been. Um, But regardless... You know, whatever clicked in Diaz's hit to make him think that that was the pitch to go for and he swung at, okay, so be it. Now you're at 3-1. And then after that, you got to be just sitting fastball on 3-1. And if it's a strike and you miss it, then you've got a full count and you've still got one more pitch to play with. Um, But I I don't know why you're you're attacking that three, one slider right there. I think that's just being a little bit too over aggressive. And obviously it's what ended the game with the rollover to third base. Yeah. And what made me think about this more and more was watching highlights of that, uh, at bat in watching bait, uh, dusty Baker in the dugout, not, a, not even move an inch towards the, the home plate umpire to argue, that hit by pitch, I, I just felt as if it was in a bat that really went south very quickly based on the fact that as he was shooken up, then he's swinging at two terrible pitches off the plate. It just seemed like in a bat that he wasn't really ready for. Um, and honestly, too, you know, you think about Robertson through that at bat, he gets the curveball in the dirt that uh, sends the runners from first and second to second and third with two outs. Then a curveball up towards the head where, again, like I mentioned, it seemed like he was trying to lean on as well. So you know that Robertson does not have that control. You're down one. You have runners in scoring position at second and third. You'd think that you just make, you're just trying to wait for a strike because at the end of the day, um, you're trying to force Robertson to throw as many pitches as he can as obviously he does not have control. And then you just throw yourself in the dumpster while, while uh, no pun intended, of course. But it just seemed like Diaz just didn't want that at bat. So Phil's pull it out 6-5. As I predicted the Astros to win that game, I'm not going to lie. I was pretty excited to see the Phil's win. Well, 
That changed game two. Uh, Stroh's got ahead on Wheeler, putting up three in the first very quickly. And then next thing you know, it's 5 nothing behind an Alex Bregman two-run bomb. Phillies had a lot of chances. They left 18 guys total on base. Uh, but Valdez was incredible. Uh, he went six and a third with letting uh, only up four hits. He, had not, he struck out nine and only had one earned run. Wheeler really struggled. He was not his normal postseason self. Um, one stat I saw was that he was down two to three miles per hour uh, compared to the other playoff games that he was in uh, and just seemed to not come back uh, after that first inning. Uh, I mean, he missed his inside pitch on Altuve right away. Altuve gets a double, and then Diaz gets another double, and then Jordan with the strength of a, a – with with just unreal strength, it's that ball off the wall, and next thing you know, it's two to nothing, and then it's three nothing. He went five innings pitch, six hits, four earned run, and three Ks with three walks. Um, again, the offense really struggled for the Phils, but they had an opportunity in the eighth inning, which again, this this series so far has has provided such unexpected events. Um, Schwarber comes up there in the top of the eighth with a runner on, hits a hits a ball that is not only centimeters from the right field foul pole, but millimeters and actually had run around the bases, uh, thinking that it was a two run bomb. Even the, even Fox sports had put up the graphic showing the two run bomb by Schwarber, but then they call it back. And then Schwarber comes up with his next pitch. hits a fly ball, the right field that is again, inches away from being over the fence. Tucker catches it at the track, at the track. Um, again, inches away from being a 5-3 game in uh, in the at-bat. Then Harper came up with two on and had a had flew out to Pena at second base, but man, was that, a, that was a just a crazy set of events there where that fly ball was Tucker's ball all day. Pena decides to take it on. Uh, you know, in Stroh's eyes, thank God he caught that because that could have turned into something pretty crazy with that middle of the lineup coming up there for the Phils. Uh, but just a very unlucky game for the Phillies in game two, I thought. And Christian, from what you've seen so far, how do you see this now rolling into game three? Obviously, we have Cindergard versus McCullers. What we initially thought would be the game four matchup, now game three. But from your eyes, how do you see this series now going into Philly? Where, where are you seeing things happening? Who do you see stepping up? And what do you see from this pitching matchup? I think it's going to be one of the most exciting places to be tomorrow night up in Philly. They're coming off of a huge Eagles win today over the Steelers, uh, no less. And you're going to be seeing a huge flurry of nothing but red tomorrow night in the stands for game three. I think the pitching matchup is very intriguing. You've got two guys who have had their both – both of them have had time in the World Series before. Um, Syndergaard hasn't been there since when he was with the Mets back in 2015, in which he gave the Mets a very good start against Kansas City back then. And then you have McCullers on the other side, who has been dominant throughout this postseason so far. Um, I think the big question that it turns on to tomorrow is how deep can Syndergaard go? Uh, so far this postseason, he hasn't thrown very many innings. He had one start against the Braves that he didn't work very deep into the game. 
Um, I think that Rob Thompson is going to have a test in front of him about how he wants to manage the bullpen when you've got three straight games in a row. Um, but he showed Thompson that is showed in game one that he's, he's not taking any chances with this bullpen. I mean, they brought Alvarado in earlier than expected. Um, and it, it paid off for him for sure. So one of the things that I think that's going to be heavily considered tomorrow night is if you need to go get Syndergaard early, do you bring in a guy like Zach Eflin who can throw more innings into the game and save more of your bullpen for the next couple of days following game three? Or do you want to take the same approach that you took in game one and bring in the back end of your bullpen guys early and just let them go an inning at a time and keep everybody rested enough to be able to throw the next day when you know that you'll probably be able to get more out of your starter, whoever that may be. Um, On the flip side, McCullers headed into game three. I think it's going to be a very interesting matchup for him. Like I said before, he dominated in the divisional series against Seattle, did very well in the ALCS against New York. Um, right now he's looking at five and a half strikeouts is the line on him. I'm going to take the under on that at minus 110. I think that the Phillies are not going to go down very easy. And I think that they're going to be able to put the ball in play. However, I'm not too sure that them putting the ball in play is going to result in too much more than a lot of outs for for McCullers. Um, so I think McCullers is, is going to have the edge here. And I think that Behind him, the Astros are probably going to run away with game three. Yeah, and, and, you know, from from what I – when I sit here and I and I look at this particular game, it it scares me for the Phillies as they go with Syndergaard. And I think it's because of the fact that they've had to use other arms uh, in, in game two – that could have been a potential starter in game one, or excuse me, game two, uh, like Suarez, of course, being used and could potentially have been that game three starter. But again, it's going to be crazy, of course, with what we thought was going to be a game three matchup with Suarez and Javier now turned Syndergaard and McCullers. Man, it's, it's just going to be a great one. And so looking at the game three lines here, Stroh's at minus one and a half, plus 132, minus 134 money line. Phillies at plus one and a half, at minus 165, plus 112 money line, over and under set at eight. My picks, I'm, I'm taking McCullers over five and a half Ks. Reason being is that he had over six Ks with uh, with both games against the Yankees and the Mariners. I think that dude can go out there and absolutely shove. Uh, specifically, I have Harper and Schwarber at over one and a half total bases. Harper at plus 115 for that. Schwarber at plus 140. Nice little parlay there. Might parlay that with a guy like Bregman or even a guy like Diaz, uh, who had really stepped up there in Game 2. And then I'm taking the Phillies' uh, money line at plus 112. I originally predicted them to win in Game 4 with that matchup of Syndergaard and McCullers now flipped to Game 3. And I'm also going to take the over at 8. I just think this is going to be a game where I think McCullers 
will get to that 6K mark, uh, but it's going to be a grind, and I think that it's going to turn into an absolute battle there, 5 through 9, just like it did uh, in, the, in the other games as well. Christian, besides your pick of uh, McCullers being under 5.5Ks, what other picks you got? Um, so I would first like to point out that this is the first time in the history of the Big Fly Pod that the co-hosts have disagreed on a pick. Oh, no. I oh, no. Oh, no. The, I had the McCullers under five and a half strikeouts at, at minus 110, but you, uh, you've definitely gone to Dundee Crown because a famous Dundee Crown alum, Shane Lubecker, he always fades my picks, <laughs> and it usually works out for him. So maybe it'll work out for you too, Ty. But um, anyhow, I'm going to give you a couple of more picks that I maybe feel more confident about. I think Brandon Marsh to get a hit. At minus 110, that's a pick that I really like. Um, I think that he is going to be able to, like I said before, they're going to be putting the ball in play. I think Marsh is one of those guys who's going to be able to get one to drop somewhere in the outfield for a hit. Um, But that's the only Phillies bet that I have. Going to my two Astros bets, I've got Chaz McCormick for a hit at minus 160. And then I think Bregman is going to have two or more total bases, which is at plus 120 right now. He's been swinging a hot bat. I think the Syndergaard matchup's a good one for him to be able to drive the ball into a gap. And for that reason, I think Bregman at two or more total bases is the pick that I feel the most confident in. Yeah, and as we say confidently, our picks are as confident as they can be until the results, as uh, some of you have probably noticed here uh, on your bet on your bet slip uh, here over the weekend, as you may have tried to agree with us and give us a chance. Uh, but at the end of the day, folks, our picks are our picks. You can take them if you want to, but at the end of the day, we're probably not going to be perfect, uh, as we uh, have discussed internally as as a podcast. Um, and so. Guys, we're really looking forward to this game three here, uh, but we always we always want to provide some side stories as well. Uh, want to give a shout out to MLB umpire, the home plate umpire for game two, Pat Hoberg. He actually was calling a perfect. He actually called a perfect game with 129 of 129 taken pitches called correctly again. Now, let's be honest here, as we uh, as if you've played baseball in the past, you're probably not going to agree with every. Uh, pitch call that an umpire has given. So I'm guessing that the Phillies and Astros didn't agree with every pitch of the 129 pitches total total in that game were probably agreed upon or something was probably said to Pat by some of the players during the game. Uh, but pretty crazy stat right there is uh, that is something that, of course, is a big headline uh, as uh, robo-umps and those topics start to hit the MLB landscape as they try all those in the Arizona Fall League and other uh, leagues as well. Um, another headline that I think is really important to discuss here, and it could end up being a big part of this next game, is the Mancini-Diaz-DH discussion for the Astros. Diaz and Mancini have been the go-to picks for the DH position here in the playoffs for the Strohs, both unfortunately going one for 34 here in the postseason so far. And in in the first two series for the Strohs, with them winning outright 7-0, obviously that is not something that they looked at and thought of as something important for them as they ended up pulling out a 7-0 winning streak there in the playoffs. 
But looking at this now, how important Game 3 is, of course, with three games now being in Philly here over consecutive days. No, there is an article out there saying right now that David Hensley, a rookie on the bench, uh, who hit 345 and 16 regular uh, regular season games, uh, but only has two plate appearances here in the postseason so far. Christian, in your eyes, who are you going with here in this DH position? Are you sticking with Mancini? Are you going to a guy like Diaz? Or are you going with a wild card in Hensley here for game three in the DH position? It's an interesting thought for sure because Mancini has produced so well during the regular season um, and did well enough this year at the beginning that the Astros made that move for him at the deadline to be able to provide a little bit of extra power in that offense. And so far through this playoffs, it has not been the case for Mancini. He's slumping really bad right now. And, you know, usually uh, you want guys to stay in the lineup to work out of a slump, but, when you're down to the wire here in the World Series, it's it's all hands on deck and anything goes, and you can't sit around and wait for those guys to break out of it. Um, even though, like we've seen so far in these first two games, Altuve was able to snap out of it, but Mancini's struggles have continued. And I think you've got to pull the plug with that and go somewhere else. So maybe that's putting Diaz into the outfield and letting Jordan Alvarez be your DH um, if that gives you a little bit of help defensively, that's an option. Uh, you've also got Christian Vasquez there who could slide into that DH spot too um, or catch and let Maldonado DH if you want. Uh, that's an option as well. Um, or like you mentioned, Hensley. I mean, you've got three guys right there that you could plug in and play with, um, but I think you've got to go with whoever's got the hot hand right now. And of those three guys, I think that's to be determined, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Baker pull the plug on Mancini, at least for tomorrow night, and see if something else can get put into that lineup to get it going even more than it did in games one and two. Yeah, and guys like Altuve stepping up now and having really a nice game two there to get him momentum into game three. It's probably going to relieve a little bit of the stress on Baker to decide what to do there in that DH position. But again, another topic to look at here going into game three. Now, we bring this up with obviously the cheating scandal that happened a couple of years ago with the Strohs and something that a lot of people uh, have talked about for years and years and years. And as we mentioned, the Strohs have really stepped up and have been that and have proven that they don't necessarily need to cheat to be successful. But, but. There are two things out there right now that I thought would be interesting points to talk about, uh, including with with Framir Valdez and Martin Maldonado. We'll start with Maldonado's story. Supposedly, uh, Maldonado used a bat gifted to him by Albert Pujols for Game 1. Turns out the bat has been illegal since 2010, but Pujols had it fathered in, grandfathered in. Uh, as a Cub fan, I'm kind of itching about that. But... Maldonado was back to his usual bat for game two tonight. And then turning it over to Valdez, uh, videos going around of him having looking to have some form of a substance on his hand. Of course, all the conspiracy guys on Twitter came out talking about certain things with him grabbing his hair after he pitches, him walking off the mound and seeing, you know, Maybe put that substance somewhere else. Uh, it, it's something that, of course, with the Astros 
at the end of the day, they're going to have those eyes on them until all those guys retire. But Christian, any thoughts there, if any? Uh, I mean, come on. Like, just get over it at this point, okay? The Maldonado thing, the whole purpose of the rule with the bat was for player safety because those bats broke too easy before. Does it improve your performance at all? Probably not. So I don't think there's any point to waste any time thinking about that one. And then as far as it goes with Framber, they're getting checked all the time every inning. Um, nobody saw anything on him. I think he was just wiping away sweat and whatnot. It's humid in Houston. Plus you've got all that adrenaline going. So personally, I don't buy into any of that. I think it's, it's just headlines to get some clicks on, on Twitter. They got me to click. So thought it was interesting, but, um, well, hey everyone! Thanks again for signing in and listening into game or episode two of the Big Fly Pod. Christian and I have really enjoyed the feedback from all our listeners, all our friends, and all our peers that have really been able to support us, uh, along with uh, what we call uh, criticism that we appreciate and some uh, very very funny uh, posts and funny texts that both Christian and I have gotten. But at the end of the day, this is something that we really, truly enjoy doing, and we will offer for anyone to give any any advice or anything that we can do better uh, to make it more enticing for you to listen uh, here in your, in your car rides to work, uh, whether you're studying at home uh, or you're working out, whatever it is, we'd love for you guys to continue to listen into our podcast as we've really enjoyed it. So Christian, anything else here before we sign off? Yeah, thanks, everybody, and make sure throw us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at BigFlyPod. Um, we're going to be coming back Friday morning with our postseason award predictions, um, MVPs, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year. We'll be giving you guys our thoughts on those. We'll also be talking more about the World Series, and if it's done, by Friday, then we'll be giving one of these two teams a congratulations and talking about all the games. And if it's still going, then we'll still recap the games and then give you our predictions for uh, Friday and Saturday night. So have a good week, everybody. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you back on Friday. Thanks, everyone. See you soon.